This is Lit Mix, a podcast about the books that challenge us. I'm Andrea. And I'm Rachel. We're friends who met in eighth grade and grew up to be a high school English teacher and a K-12 school librarian. On each episode of our show, we focus on one book, exploring why it's controversial and what makes it important. Today, we're discussing Out of Darkness by Ashley Hope Perez. We live in a world that is essentially cruel and indifferent, but there are remedies for that. And the remedies are kindness and beauty. Stories teach us about how the world is. They demonstrate the ways in which the world is made just a little bit better, which is to say kinder and more beautiful with love with attention, friendship, and care. And they show us, too, how ignorance, cruelty, and indifference eat the heart and soul out of families, communities, and ecosystems. Stories, at their best, demonstrate the way that kindnesses and cruelties move through our lives and the lives of our families and communities. If you've ever been treated with particular kindness, perhaps by a stranger, when you were already in distress or pain, you know the vast difference between love and the lack of love. Love is the saving grace, the heart, and the light in Ashley Hope Perez's novel, Out of Darkness. It's a heavy novel in more than one sense, but among other things, it is a story of tragic love. Andrea, I can't wait to talk about this book with you. Why it's an important contribution to American literature, how it fits or doesn't fit in the syllabus, and why it's being currently challenged. Yeah, we have so much to talk about with this book, why we loved it and how it broke our hearts. But just to start out, Out of Darkness is a historical fiction novel by Ashley Hope Perez, published in 2015. It's set in East Texas and anchored by the real-life tragedy of the 1937 New London School explosion. It received starred reviews from Kirkus and School Library Journal, and won a Prince Honor from the American Library Association for Excellence in Young Adult Literature. It is also number four on the ALA's list of top 10 most challenged books of 2021, which we can and will talk more about later. But Out of Darkness tells the story of Naomi, a Mexican-American teenager who, along with her younger brother and sister, leaves home in San Antonio with her grandparents to live with her white stepfather, who is the twin's father, for the opportunity to attend school where he lives. It's also the story of Wash, short for Washington, a black teenage boy who becomes like a big brother to the twins, and falls in love with Naomi. But this is not a romance in the happily ever after sense. First of all, we can talk about the school explosion. Rachel, had you heard of this event before reading the book? I had not ever heard of the tragedy that was the school explosion in 1937. I was immediately gripped, especially when I heard the date, because it occurred to me that my grandma would have been about the age of Beto and Kari in the book. I had never, never heard of this event either. And I actually asked my husband, who is from Texas, he wasn't so familiar either. So I feel like it's a story that hasn't been told very widely. But the school explosion happened on March 18th, 1937. It was caused by a gas leak. There was a gas leak in the school, maybe for 
weeks or months leading up to this. And when a shop teacher turned on an electric sander one afternoon, that just caused a spark that ignited the explosion and the roof actually lifted off the building. More than 300 students and teachers died in this tragedy. It's just astonishing. Is that the biggest death toll of any school event? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I read. So, I mean, today, as has both parents and people who have worked in a school, I know we're very aware of school shootings and those tragedies that are happening more and more. It seems like since we were teenagers or since we were seniors in high school when Columbine happened. I don't remember if it was AP English Lit or AP English Lang, but we, I think, took our AP exam in a different school in the district because of a bomb threat. Is that, do you remember this? I remember that we, yeah, we had to go to a different building to take that exam. Didn't we sit across from each other? We did sit across from each other. (laughs) yeah i remember that we were in that class together and we We took the exam across from each other in a different school because yeah there was some kind of threat to our school and i wonder i wonder if columbine hadn't just happened if that would have been taken as seriously Oh, I don't think so. It feels like a match was struck with Columbine and all of a sudden, whether it's partly because of the coverage or who knows what the reason is, but all of a sudden the atmosphere in school was definitely charged in a way that I don't think we ever, I don't think I would ever have thought of school as a dangerous place. I would have thought of school as one of the safest places, really. We were just at the tail end of experiencing as students and it was almost a novelty, like, oh! I'm going to go take my AP exam at this other school and sit across from Andrea. Whereas, you know, when I have taught pre-K among other grades and levels, I can't think about threats of school violence and debates about lockdown drills in America without like reliving the experience of shepherding three-year-olds into a corner for a lockdown drill. It was just a kind of a gross feeling. Yeah. And we really didn't experience that much as students because it was Mm -hmm. so close to the end of our senior year. I feel like we've experienced that fear and anxiety more as parents and as people who work in schools. We case rooms like officers thinking about what the ideal hiding place would be and critiquing the flaws in rooms Mm -hmm. that are just too dangerous. Over the past number of years, I've taught in a school that had many big, beautiful windows everywhere. And it was hard not to think all the time about how just incredibly vulnerable myself and my students and my and my kids, my own children who went to the school would be in in any situation of violence. I don't know if people who haven't worked in a school or been a student in recent years, I don't know if they realize the degree to which probably all of us have gone over in our mind, like, okay, what would I do if if I was in this location in the school, where would I go? Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, when when my child attended preschool at the same school where I worked, he was on the opposite side of the building. I would kind of think about, okay, if something happened, I guess I would just have to trust 
his preschool teachers to bring him to safety while I take care of these other 30 kids that are under my care at that time. Add a pandemic to that with a highly yeah. infectious airborne virus and the state of school employee salaries. And there is really no mystery to the mass retirement, early retirement, leaving of the profession. It's been a lot. Violence, yeah. the threat of violence, and just the lack of support. Add to that the mm -hmm. general level of inequality. And I think we're back to one of the really important issues in Out of Darkness, which is, you know, there's like this huge difference between the Black school and the white school. And then the story itself follows a Mexican-American family that doesn't really quite fit in either world. Well, Naomi and Maj don't even live in the same town, technically. He lives in New Egypt, right? That's the Black community nearby. But Wash does a lot of odd jobs, including working for the superintendent of the white school. And yeah, Wash's father is the principal of the Black school. So he kind of has been exposed to... Both of the schools, and part of the reason why Naomi, Naomi and her siblings are going to that school is because it's a brand new state-of-the-art school that the community is very proud of, all of the resources and facilities that are there. They're amazing mm -hmm. for the day, and the, we should say they're funded by the oil yeah. company that is in town pumping oil yeah. and so it's mm -hmm. a bit of a mixed blessing as the book develops yeah so naomi and maj don't go to the same school and naomi by default because her stepfather is white and her two younger siblings pass as white she goes to the white school and she is part of the white community even though she's mexican-american and darker skinned than her siblings. So I saw very obvious connections to Romeo and Juliet in this story, Naomi and Wash being the star-crossed lovers. Neither of them are white, but, the, but their society still doesn't see them as belonging together. One of the great things about this book is just how incredibly complex every character and situation is. So you take Naomi, Wash says, I think, like just a few shades of color separate like his skin tone from hers. And she's pretty dark. I think it's implied that her dad was really dark and her mom was mid-brown. Mm -hmm. But even though it's just a few shades of skin color that separates them. Mm. It's also a whole culture. And Wash's mom wouldn't, Wash's parents wouldn't be thrilled about him being with a non-Black girl. And Naomi is just sort of like her own thing out there, not mm -hmm. having anybody to fit with. And in that, but in, there's other asymmetries too, right? Like Wash also, it seems, have slightly different inclinations and desires mm -hmm. for his own life than his parents do. He's really good with his hands, building things, creating things, kind of entrepreneurial almost in a way, or at least cra craftsman-like. 
and his parents are desperate for him to attend school for very understandable reasons. So I think in that sense, like Naomi, Naomi is a person who doesn't fit and Wash in another sense is a person who doesn't fit, but they really fit well together. And it's again, yeah, that, that tragic story where there's like no place for this young couple um, because not because anything's wrong with them, but because the world around them is so bonkers. (laughs) This book, I loved it, but it was so upsetting at times but I wanted to talk about what one thing that I really loved was Ashley Hope Perez's storytelling so the book is narrated alternately by Naomi Wash Beto and even Henry who is the stepfather I don't mean to be that guy please please but it's, I think it's always written in a close third person. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. So it's not narrated by those people. It is told from their perspective. Uh, yeah, so we get to see all the different perspectives. Oh, and also I want to ask you, I keep not knowing how to say the little brother's name, like Beto or Beto. I'll say, so I listened to the audio book, mm. which I have to say, I'm just going to pause and make a plug here for audio books as like a leg- like super legitimate way to absorb literature. Yes. I love this audiobook because she pronounces all of the names and reads all of the Spanish in a native mm. bilingual mm. fashion, which is just perfect. So the way she said the name was Beto. 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 Because they're Beto and Cari, according to Naomi and according to their Spanish language mother tongue, but they're Robbie. And Carrie yeah. to their dad, who is mm-hmm. white. And, and you know, he's not... He, would we say that Henry has some anti-Mexican tendencies? I mean, yeah. we can't say that he's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason why he wants them to go by Robbie and Carrie is because he wants them to be part of the white community. He... he forbids them from speaking Spanish, right? Oh, that's right. He does. Yeah. They are strictly Robbie and Carrie to him, even though among themselves they go by their actual names. (laughs) Um, But I liked how we did get to see Henry's perspective across the book in a few different chapters. Because even though he is the antagonist, we got to see his different dimensions and different sides of him and kind of part of maybe how he became the way that he was from his own trauma in the past. Do we know what that is is or is it sort of left vague? Yeah, we do know what it is. So there's this one... There's this one chapter where he talk, where he, I think, I don't know if he asked the pastor, but he's wondering, like, if one person can just be like bad luck. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how there have been multiple tragedies with his own family and then 
-hmm. and then other family or foster parents that he went to live with yeah he is essentially the antagonist but we get enough of a backstory mm. about him to generate real empathy, I think. But it's complicated. Yeah, I always kind of hoped, like, he's... Yes. He always yes. claimed that he was, like, trying to do better. And I always hoped that somehow in the end, like, whatever goodness he had inside of him would break through, but... Hmm. that's a negative oh and there are also those chapters i just wanted to mention the chapters from the point of view from the gang quote unquote which i found those really unsettling showing the mob mentality oh yes kind of even even the, the first chapter from the gang that is everyone's reaction to naomi when she goes to school and yes. what the boys and the girls think about her and the PTA mom. and the PTA. Yes. Mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everyone has a lot of opinions about her. I loved getting the perspective of the PTA moms and the other students around Naomi and the way they interpreted Naomi's reserve because we've already gotten to know Naomi enough from her perspective to know how badly they're misinterpreting who she is and what she's about. I think the PTA moms say something about her thin dress and the way she walks is so, you know, sexy. You can just tell that she's asking for it and has had experience, mm -hmm. which is honestly really chilling because what we already know about Naomi is that she, like many, if not most girls, has had her first sexual experiences being of an exploitative nature. And it's been Henry. It was Henry and it was in a really cruel way. Like the trauma that Naomi carries from, you know, being exploited while still a child, exploited sexually by her stepfather. It's, it's all the more cruel mm -hmm. when she is hypersexualized at her young age. And it's just a redoubling of trauma. And frankly, one that I think is not particularly unusual, but it's told with particular sensitivity. And this, I think, Andrea, is probably one of the things that has gotten this book challenged. Is that, that would be my intuition. Is that actually the case? Yeah. So according to the American Library Association, Out of Darkness has been banned, challenged, and restricted for depictions of abuse and because it was considered to be sexually explicit. I was surprised that another reason given was not um, the graphic violence <laughs> that <laughs> is in this book. Oh, yeah. People's flesh, there's dismembered hands, there's picking up, yeah. picking up the limbs of children and putting them in baskets after the explosion. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's pretty typical in America. <laughs> yeah. More upset over sex than violence. Right. So much is disturbing about this book. There's physical, sexual, and emotional abuse that Naomi experiences. The violence of the explosion. Other violence. Racial, racial violence. Viol racial 
Islands. Um, and Perez doesn't hold back on any of this. Yeah. So I can see why some parents would want to maybe shield their kids from this content and also why some readers in general would maybe not be comfortable with it. Oh, yeah. But as a teacher, I wouldn't have handed this book to some students because I don't know how you feel as a librarian, but I would steer, I would probably steer kids away from it and I don't know if we really talked about the concept of trigger warnings, but that is exactly, yeah, Yeah. that's what I was going to say. This book doesn't need to be banned. It doesn't need to be restricted, but it could use some content warnings because there is a lot in there that's disturbing. I felt it as someone who doesn't even have much direct experience with a lot of what Naomi and Wash went through. You know, when I finished this book, it was late at night, uh, right right before I was going to sleep. And I just, I really wanted to watch a funny sitcom or something (laughs) to cleanse my palate. Like, Roll through a few cat videos. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Cats on glass tables. <laughs> it's a lot, especially for a, a young classified as young adult, which this mm. book is. And having worked with the young adult demographic, I think both of us know that it's absolutely true that young adults do grapple with death, with violence, with abuse Mm. with the loss of a parent with being almost the sole caregiver of younger siblings Mm. with racism with all of these harrowing terrifying things compounded with whatever traumas their parents are transmitting to them it's a lot and i think we need to be cognizant as teachers as people who work with children as writers who might be producing for young people and also just as citizens in a world where we're always talking about what kids are allowed to have access to allowed to read about allowed to talk about that these things are happening in people's lives right and that should just give us a moment to put it's like oh you're upset because you read this in a book but this is for real if we really ask the questions we would discover that it's for real in a lot of people's lives. I mean, maybe that's one reason why people want to put these books away. It's scary to look mm. in the box and see all the terrible things that might be waiting for you there. But it's also the only way that you get to move forward. So maybe we should talk about my favorite part of this book. <laughs> yeah. And yours. Yeah. What was so, so powerful about this book is the way that Perez showed all the different faces of love. There's the love that Naomi's mother Mm. had for Mm. Naomi, which even though Naomi's mother is barely a character in the book, she's almost off stage the entire time. Her presence just like permeates it. We know so much about her. I feel like I can picture Mm. this woman who really just infused Naomi with love and courage and strength in the time that she was alive. And I think it's kind of in that image of the braid of Naomi's braid of her mother's braid. And she sort of touches the end of her braid and feels Mm. strong again and continues to be 
the Shiro of her own life and of Beto and Kari's lives. She's just an amazing parent to them. She buys gifts for them and they're just exactly the right gift. Nobody else knows those little children the way Naomi does. And even though she was only, I think nine or something, 10 when mm. her mother died, she still just became this caretaker for her kids, uh, for her, her yeah. kids, for her brother <laughs> and her sister who became like her own children. And then when Wash enters the picture, there's there's this dream that the four of them could be mm-hmm. a family because they already are a family. They're a secret family in the middle of this world that just has no place for them. They make this place kind of in the forest, by right. the river, fishing. It's just full of these images of nature, which reminded me so much of what the forest world means in a Shakespeare Mm. play. So in a Shakespeare play, when you go into the forest, all the categories fall away and you could be anyone and you you can love whoever. There's Mm. no parent there to say, you can't marry that person because difference, problem. I love the Romeo and Juliet connection, West Side Story connection, because in those plays, it's always like, What's going to be more real to you, the love or the violence? Even if violence does seem to Mm. overwhelm in this moment, I think we get the hope that like Beto is going to go on. Yeah. And that was my biggest takeaway of the book. So this is a beautiful love story in one sense, but it's also a very upsetting story. And what I kind of took from that is that some stories need to be told despite how painful they are. And actually in looking into the school explosion, the the real event, I found one news story that was 80 years after. And it talked about how the survivors were still having reunions. Wow. But also how they told journalists over the years that it was almost like they were forbidden to talk about what happened wow because everyone in the community had someone that they lost and it was kind of like something that people whispered about because they didn't want to upset other people um so one person in this article said this reunion has been significant to me because i have found more people this year who are willing to talk about it and tell me stories about my sister so you know, that person lost their 14 year old sister. And just because it was so painful to everyone in the community, it was kind of a hush hush topic. But it is important for survivors to share their stories of, you know, all different kinds of tragedies. First of all, to not keep it bottled up inside, (laughs) but also for the rest of the community and, and people who come after them to, you know, whether learn from history or understand how your elders have gone through hardships in their life. You know, I'm sure in everyone's family, there's kind of like some kind of painful memory that we don't talk about. And it's a shame. Oh, my goodness. Every family. What you just said, Andrea, reminds me of a quote from the poet Maya Angelou, who I think we read I Know Why the Caged Bird Mm. Sings, which was another book 
that twigged with this one in my mind. But the quote is, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Mm -hmm. And it made me think of the survivors of the school explosion and how they were, you know, told, like, don't tell the story. It'll upset people. And how even though there's probably some, like, good intention in the impulse to be like, don't talk about that, Mm -hmm. ultimately it doesn't seem to me like that works out very well for people. I think when we when we talk about what stories we can tell, when we talk about what monuments we can put up, when we talk about, you know, what we can talk about, we're sort of like deciding what the cultural memory is going to be. And if we say like, oh, we can't talk about the bad things because that's upsetting. Mm -hmm. We're really only giving part of the story, which isn't truthful. Right. I mean, I think an example that anybody could relate to just in their own experience might Mm. be like, I don't want to go to the doctor, (laughs) even though this thing is growing under my arm, because I don't want them to tell me that it's cancer. And it's like, well, if it's cancer, then it is cancer. And you need to find out what's good. Like if a a thing is a fact, then it's a fact. Mm -hmm. And it's going to make itself known Right. Whether we talk about it or not. So probably we better talk about it. Otherwise, the trauma that we bury is just going to like spring up in a different form. Ooh, And I think we see a lot of that in the. Yeah. And talk about it sooner rather than later. So, Rachel, what song did you pick for our playlist for Out of Darkness? So the song that I picked is a song that is featured in the film Philadelphia. It's a film directed by Jonathan Demme in 1993, starring Tom Hanks in an Academy Award winning performance as a gay Philadelphia lawyer who is fired because of being HIV positive. And this is in the days before highly effective um, antiretroviral therapies. And so he is a dying man who is nonetheless in a courtroom trying to demonstrate his humanity to a world that is eager to put him back in the closet and quarantine, you know, his sick self away from anyone. So there's this, so there's no lawyers that are willing to take on this character's case, except a black lawyer played by Denzel Washington, who has just a shabby little office, um, you know, above a storefront in somewhere in Philly. I love that character. I do too. I love him. And he's never, you know, he's the kind of guy who's like, most of us is like, opera. What is this opera? But Tom Hanks's character is like, no, no, you just need to listen to this one. And so there's this scene where they're in Tom Hanks's apartment, Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks at this point is like, you know, has lost 25% of his body weight for the role and has sores on his face. And he's just hanging onto his IV pole. And he's like, no, no, you have to stay. You have to listen to this piece. And so so the piece that he plays him is the piece that I put on our, our list today, which is La Mamma Morta from the opera Andrea Chenye. So, so he plays the song for Denzel and it's the song about how this woman is speaking in the first person and she's lost everything. Her mother died, the, the village was burned, the house was burned, everything was lost and there she was alone in the mud, in the muck with nothing. And then love comes to her, just the spirit of love just comes to the singer to say, I am love, I am life, keep going, keep going. Everything around you is mud and muck, but you can keep going, keep going, keep loving, keep 
living, keep loving, keep living. And, you know, I am love, 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 I am love. And it's not so much about what, I mean, I think this is true of opera. You're the Italian. I am not, but <laughs> it seems to me that what's important in opera is not so much the words that are said. So it's not even really about, if you listen to this, and I dare you to, if you listen to this and I dare you to, it's not really so much about the words that are said, or you can look those up if you want to. It's so much about like the emotion, the pain, the grief, the frustration, and then the hope. It's like the song becomes a container for all of this human experience that we share the mud, the muck, and the blood, and the death, but also the love and the life. So that's my pick. <laughs> Good choice. And I, I did listen to it this morning, but my choice was one that just like came to me as I was reading it and we were talking about Naomi and Wash trying to find a place where they could be their family with the twins too and the song is somewhere from west side story written by leonard bernstein and stephen sondheim so naomi and wash they just they just want to escape from everything and take kari and beto with them too but it's nearly impossible because even if Naomi and Wash could pass as a black couple. The twins look white. So there's really nowhere they could be where that would be acceptable. So so West Side Story is the story of Tony and Maria, a white boy and a Puerto Rican girl who fall in love and not only are they different races, but Tony and the the boys in Maria's life are from rival gangs. So they really... They're the Catholic, Capulets and Montagues. Yeah, exactly. Except they're Jets and Sharks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I thought it was interesting that you know, this book takes place in 1937, and it wasn't until 30 years later in 1967 with the Loving versus Virginia Supreme Court case that the court ruled that laws banning interracial marriage violate the Constitution. So more recently, the Respect for Marriage Act was just passed by the Senate, and that essentially codifies same-sex marriage and interracial marriage. So today, Naomi and Wash could be together, but in their time, it, it just wasn't possible. The version of Somewhere that I'm picking for the playlist is a version by the Pet Shop Boys that came out in 1997. And it's kind of like the electronic dance remix of Somewhere, <laughs> which I thought to contrast with your opera, to bring a little bit of a beat into the playlist. And I just love that song. It's so sad and it's, Oh, so hopeful and sad at the same time, just like this book.
Thanks for listening to today's episode of Lit Mix. Check the link in our show notes for other perspectives and resources on the books and topics discussed in this show. Lit Mix is created, hosted, and produced by Andrea Benvenuto and me, Rachel Stone. Follow us on Instagram at litmixpodcast or email us at litmixpodcast at gmail.com. Like what you hear? Subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts or drop a few coins in our tip jar on Ko-Fi. Thanks for your support.